0: The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 15. There we're going to read the first 20 verses. This will form the basis of our exposition of the 10th commandment and the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 44. Matthew 15, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Then came Jesus, came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother. And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death but ye say whosoever shall say to his father or his mother it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me and honor not his father or his mother he shall be free thus have ye made the commandment of god of none effect by your tradition ye hypocrites well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me but in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men and he called the multitude and said unto them hear and understand not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man but that which cometh out of the mouth this defileth a man Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, False witness, blasphemies, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. I read God's word to that point this morning. On the basis of that passage and many others, the Catechism explains to us the meaning of the 10th commandment and its implications for the entirety of God's law and the work of redemption in Lord's Day 44. Lord's Day 44, page 24 in the back of your Psalter. What doth the tenth commandment require of us, that even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness but can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments no but even the holiest men while in this life have only a small beginning of this obedience, yet so that with a sincere resolution they begin to live not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. Beloved of God, the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism here comes into a very different world than it came into when it was originally written. If you would take a poll of the population in 16th century Europe into which this catechism originally came, asking the question, do you believe that there is such a thing as moral absolutes? Things that are objectively right and wrong, that come down to us from God, that God presses upon his creation that are unchanging, that are his laws. Across the board virtually everyone would say yes, of course. But in society today it is not so. Two recent national Barna polls concluded that only 15% of adults and only 6% of young adults believe that there is any such thing as moral absolutes. That means that 94% Of young adults believe that all morality is relative. That there is no law of God determining right and wrong. And into this world now, into this culture comes this statement made by our Reformed Fathers. God will have his law strictly preached And we read that, and maybe we think, well yes, of course, he would have his law strictly preached out there. We're only 6 percent. Of young adults believe there's such thing as a law of God, as commands of God that come down upon his creation. On the street corner in evangelism the law must be strictly preached out there, but in here, in here it's not so necessary if I take a poll of all of you people in here it'd probably be, I sure hope it would be, a whole lot more like 16th century Europe. In here, it's not so necessary to preach strictly the law of God. That's for out there. No. Yes, the law of God must be strictly preached out there, declared on the street corner from the housetop far and wide. But it must be strictly preached here too. In here, where we believe in moral absolutes. Where we agree that the law of God comes down from above and is pressed upon his creation. It must be strictly preached to you and to me. Let's see what that means this morning, that the law of God be strictly preached, and let's see why it's his will that it also be strictly preached to us. And let's take as our theme, God wills the strict preaching of his law. Well, will notice first what he wills, the strict preaching of his law, why he wills it, the necessity of that. And third, let's see that in the end, it leaves us longing for glory. God wills the strict preaching of his law. What does that mean? That God wants his will to be strictly preached. It means four things, and as I explain these four things, I'll also prove that it is in fact the case that God wants his law preached this way strictly. I'll prove it from the text that we read this morning, Matthew chapter 15. That God wants his will to be strictly preached means, first, that he wants his revealed will, his law, to be preached to us as law, as the authoritative rule of Jehovah God demands from a sovereign God over his creation, the expression of his creator's rights over his creation, I have created you. This is my law for you. The law is not to be preached as mere suggestions. It's not to be preached the way the information is given to me on the back of my vitamin bottle. It is suggested that you take this with one glass of water every morning. It's not necessary. It doesn't absolutely have to be, but but it's a good suggestion, it's not a half bad idea. God's law comes as law as the demands of a sovereign creator. God is not merely a worldly old grandpa up there in the sky who has finished imposing rules upon his children, the children are out of the house. And now he just sort of lets loose and everything his kids and grandkids do is a little bit funny and so don't worry about following God's law. That's the way he looks at all of this. That law thing is is an Old Testament thing anyway and now that we are in the New Testament and are grown up, he just sort of throws all of that to the wind, shrugs it off and as long as you're a halfway decent person, he says, I'm cool with it. This is the God of the whole earth who is not just holy, but who is holy, holy, holy. So holy that the angels themselves who are themselves spotless in holiness cannot but cry out, he is a holy being, he is a holy being, he is a holy being as they stand before him. This is the God who has a hell reserved for those who despise him and his authority. A hell that nobody talked about more on the pages of the Bible than the Lord Jesus Christ. A very New Testament figure. The demands of his law must be preached this way as law with all the authority of a holy, sovereign, creator God. That's how Jesus preached the law of God. That's how he preached it here in the passage that we read in Matthew chapter 15. That's how he preached it in many other places besides. But here as he preaches the fifth commandment to the Pharisees, he preaches it as authoritative. Matthew 15 verse 4, for God commanded saying, honor thy father and thy mother and that word commanded is God ordered it from on high? There is no softening of the edges of His authority in His law, of His absolute rule. It's His order, and it must be preached that way. Second, to preach the law strictly means that all of the law of God is preached. Every single one of the demands of his law is proclaimed. No more and no less. There must be no hiding of some aspects of his law because we've decided that we don't really like those ones anymore or they're not so popular anymore. And the doing of that is not legalism. If his law demands it, It's not legalism to proclaim it as the demand of his law. There is, of course, such a thing as legalism. Legalism is two things. It's making other laws and then passing them off as though they are God's law when they are not. And then secondly, it's in addition to that or instead of that, Teaching that we can save ourselves or contribute to our salvation by obedience to the law of God, even if it is the actual law of Jehovah God. And the Pharisees were doing both of those things. And Jesus is condemning them for that in Matthew chapter 15. They made rules, traditions of their fathers that they lifted up to the plane of God's law, like washing your hands before you eat. It's not that there's anything wrong with saying you have to wash your hands before you eat, even as parents telling your children that. But they were declaring this as the law of Jehovah God, not just as a a thing for good hygiene, but passing it off as something that if you neglected would call upon you the judgment of God himself and which if you obeyed, they said, would contribute to your place and position in heaven. The tradition of the fathers that was passed down to them and that grew progressively over the years became to them the law of God himself and they proclaimed it as the law of God himself and the Lord would have none of this in Matthew 15. All through the gospel accounts because that's true legalism. But it's not legalism to look in the Scriptures and to see clearly what God does demand in His law and to proclaim all of it, even if we're offended by it. The disciples weren't so sure about that here in Matthew chapter 15. They weren't sure that Jesus should preach the entirety of the law of God, that he should preach it that strictly. In fact, they come up to Jesus in verse 12 after Jesus preaches the fifth commandment and says, "No." they say, knowest thou not that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Don't you think you should, you could kind of keep that quiet under wraps they were offended by you saying that. And what does the Lord say in response? Verses 13 and 14. But he answered and said, Every plant which my father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the dead. She does not back down from pro- proclaiming all the law of Jehovah God, even if it's going to step on somebody's toes. And the church must continue to do the same. That's part of the strict preaching of God's law. That it's preached as law, as the authoritative law of Jehovah God. That all of it is proclaimed. And then third, to preach the law strictly is to preach it regularly, repeatedly, so that it's brought to bear upon people again and again. The Lord Jesus did that too. He repeatedly preached the law of Jehovah God, the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, again here in Matthew chapter 15, other places. The apostles did the same. They repeatedly preached the law of God over and over again, and we need that too still today. Because if we don't have the law regularly preached to us, we start to twist the demands of that law in our own mind. To let go of parts of it. There is in us an innate rebellion against the law of Jehovah God. We don't want it. And we can start to let it go or become fuzzy in our minds and start to excuse ourselves and our disobediences to it. And it has to be repeatedly brought to bear upon us. Where does a statistic Like 94% of young adults think that there are no moral absolutes come from. It comes from human nature, that's where that statistic comes from. And that's the same human nature that's in you and me. The law must be regularly preached over us again and again lest I say to myself, which I do anyway, it's okay, I like it. And after all, there's no fire raining down anybody's heads about it. Is it really that big of a deal? And we start to excuse ourselves, like the Pharisees did. They had their own agendas and their own minds, their own purposes in preaching the law. And so they neglected parts of God's law that didn't match their agendas. And they took up things that weren't even the law of God and preached them as though they were the law of God because it did match their agenda. And Jesus exposes this, shows them how they've done this. One of the ways they did this was by leaving the fifth commandment off to the side. As long as people were giving money to them, the Pharisees, they were fine with those people letting their parents go destitute. Jesus says, don't you get it? Your own selfish desires that you, you've built up in your tradition has actually caused you to leave aside part of the law that is actually the law of Jehovah God. You just want money. And so, you, yeah, you, you say people obey your father and your mother but then you let them use their money to give it to you instead of honoring their parents as their parents lie destitute. And how easily you and I can do things like that. We must have the law regularly preached so that its standard is ever set before us. Isn't this the wisdom of our Reformed Fathers who call for the Heidelberg Catechism to be preached it followed again and again and again, one part of which is the law of Jehovah God. We need this over and over and over again. The strict preaching of the law is preaching it authoritatively, comprehensively, regularly, repeatedly, and then forth. the strict preaching of the law that God wills is preaching of that law in such a way that it's clear that that law governs not only the external actions, but also the thoughts and the desires of the heart. It's a preaching of the law that recognizes that this sovereign God is Lord over the territory not only of what is external to us, Outside the, the boundary of the, the border of our skin touching the air. But inside that boundary too. And the things that nobody else knows or sees. But that's inside and our own thoughts and motions of the heart. This too was part of the problem of the Pharisees' understanding of the law, wasn't it? In fact, it was the heart of their problem. They thought that the law only governed outward actions, not the heart. That if they washed their hands, that they were somehow pure before God and clean, and if they just conformed to a very, very specific and detailed set of rules for the outward behavior of their life, then everything was fine. As long as they did that, they were good and it didn't matter that they were filled with pride and ugliness within. In fact this is still Judaism's understanding of the law of God. A rabbi said once, you know what the key difference is between Judaism and Christianity? It's not just that Christianity says Jesus is the Messiah and we don't, that of course, but it's that you believe That The law governs your thoughts and your heart, and we believe that it only governs our outward actions. If we believed that it governed our thoughts and hearts, quote, we would always be sinning, end quote. That's the point the Lord Jesus is making in Matthew 15. You don't understand the law. This is a heart issue. It adds new significance to Jesus' summary of the law, doesn't it? That's the way the Jews thought of the law, only as external, governing the external. And the Lord summarized the law this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength love me. That's the first table of the law. and Love the neighbor as yourself. That's the second table of the law for God's sake. Verse 19 of Matthew 15 Jesus says for out of the heart proceed and then he goes through the second table of the law doesn't he? Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, And you, you Pharisees, because you don't get this about the law of God. That's why you are hypocrites, hypocrites that Isaiah talked about. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is full of wickedness and they don't care and they don't see it and they don't confess it and don't repent of it because they don't see that the law has anything to say about what's going on inside How did Jesus know that the law does govern the heart? On what basis could he tell the Pharisees that you don't understand the law at all and that's why you don't understand anything about the Gospel either? On what basis could he declare what was his summary of the law that it is Something that begins in the heart. After all, if you look at the actual words of the commandments that we've studied so far, there's really nothing in those commandments themselves that would indicate that. Thou shalt not steal. That doesn't say anything about your heart. It just says don't steal. Thou shalt not kill. That doesn't say anything about hatred or anger. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That doesn't say anything about lust. Don't take God's name in vain. Who cares what you think about that name in your heart? Just don't use it in vain with your words and your golden. doesn't say anything about your heart. Maybe the Pharisees were right. Maybe all that matters to God is the outward act. Just discipline yourself. Not to say certain words. Not to do certain things. And then you can stand in your own righteousness before Jehovah God. But you see, beloved, Already in the Old Testament, the law was summarized the way that Jesus summarized it. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Deuteronomy, Jesus didn't make that up. He was drawing this from the Old Testament already that said, this is what the law is. Love the Lord your God and besides, Jesus understood. The 10th commandment. The 10th commandment is the only one <coughs> out of the 10 that explicitly speaks of the heart. They all apply to the heart, absolutely. But the 10th commandment alone speaks directly about the heart, the inward life. Thou shalt not covet. Covetousness is an inside thing. It's in the thoughts. It's in the heart. It's the only place that it is. It gets expressed outwardly to be sure In a lot of different ways, but covetousness itself is only a thing that is done inside, not under the gaze of anybody else. Covetousness is the inordinate desire for something that God has said we may not have. It's a problem with the desires It is an inward sin. Nobody sees it. Nobody hears it. It's in the thoughts that we have when someone pulls up with a vehicle that's better than ours. And though we never say it out loud inside of us, we're thinking thoughts of discontent Oh, I wish, and why am I not at the point in my life where I thought I was going to be at, and I could have this, and I can't, and I don't. It's the thoughts that we have, young people, when somebody else makes the winning shot, and we cheer, we cheer all together, Or somebody gets the the winning time in the race. And we all cheer, but inside of us, unbeknownst to anybody else, comes this thought of discontent. I wish I was that. I wish I did that. I wanted to do that. I wanted to be that. That's covetousness. It's the thoughts we have when we go out shopping and we want to buy something and we decide we're going to buy it not only because we want to have this thing or we think it's okay to have this thing, but there's also this thought that comes to our mind and nobody else knows it or sees it, part of the reason why I want to buy this is so that I can invite so and so over. When they see it, I want them to talk about how great it is and I want them to want it. I want them to covet it. I want their covetousness. I covet their covetousness. It's sick. And it goes on inside. And God says in the 10th commandment, and I see it, and I am ruler over it. It's not a jurisdiction outside of my law. My law rules over this too. This is not how to use your desires. I created your desires and they're good desires and you're using them in in an ugly and wicked and rebellious and sinful way. Your covetousness is an attack upon me as your God and Father. It's saying that I don't do a good job of providing for you and of ruling your life. That I am not good to you. Keep it out of your heart. And now the Lord Jesus recognizes that that tenth commandment, if it governs the heart, speaks directly to the heart, which it does, then that means that all the commandments speak to the heart and govern the heart. After all, if you're going to break any one of the other nine commandments, You're going to have to do it by beginning with covetousness. Why would I not want to worship God and set myself up to be worshipped as though I am God in the eyes of others that are around me? The only reason is because I covet His position as God and I want to be God Why would I worship God in a way that pleases me even if it doesn't please Him? Because I covet the position that God has and I want to be worshipped. And I covet the worship that's being brought to Him. Why would I use His name as a vain thing? It's because I covet His position as God. And if I can take His name and and bring it down under my control and misuse it, it feels like I have power over Him, that I'm actually above Him. If I break the Sabbath day and use it for my own pleasure rather than the rest of worship of His name, it's only because I covet His position as God and I want to be in control of time and what time is used for if I break the fifth commandment and despise God-given authority it's because I covet that authority I want to have that authority if I break the sixth commandment and injure a person with my words or with my deeds It is only because I covet power over them. I covet a position that rules over them where I am the judge, the jury, and executioner over them and I get to decide. If I commit adultery, it's because I covet that person that God has not given to me And an intimacy that he has not given to me. If I steal, it's because I covet what that person has that he has said I may not have at this moment. If I lie, bear false witness, it's because I covet a certain power over reality. And I want reality to be different. And so I twist it with my words to be something that it is not at all begins with covetousness. And so, if the tenth commandment forbids the covetous heart, then all the other nine speak to the heart because they all begin with covetousness in disobedience. And you see, that's why. When the Catechism explains the Tenth Commandment, it says that this commandment, it's like a backward running stream. It comes at the end, but but its implications run backwards to all the other nine and show the depth of all of those nine, that they all run back to the heart and show that the entire law of God is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor for his sake. therefore this tenth commandment shows me that if even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to God's commandments ever rises in my heart, I'm breaking the law, it's covetousness. And by it the Lord Jesus Christ preaches the law strictly. In a way that had not been preached by the Pharisees for so long as a law that governs the heart and all of its commands. Not only commit adultery, don't commit adultery, but don't lust, Jesus says. Not only don't murder, but the hatred is governed by this law. The tenth commandment gives us what it means to preach the law strictly as God demands, as a law that governs the heart. Oh, how necessary that is. That the law be preached this way. Authoritatively, comprehensively, regularly, repeatedly, and as governing the heart. Without this kind of preaching, we lose everything. We lose the Gospel. You can see that by seeing the Catechism's answer to question 115. Why, the catechism asks, does God want his law to be preached this strictly? Why does he want it to be preached this way, the way that it is? And the answer the catechism gives is first, so that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature. Strict preaching of the law opens my eyes that I am constantly trying to keep shut to my own self and the depths of sin that is in my own self of who I am by nature. Catechism doesn't just say that I may learn more and more to know my sins but my sinful nature. It's not that hard to convince people that they have committed sins Even the Pharisees admitted that. No Pharisee thought that he was sinless. They just thought that they could overcome whatever sins they had committed by self-discipline and by moving beyond that sin into good works because their nature was not corrupt. They weren't sinful through and through within. That's the hard part to convince people of. That there's something wrong at the most basic level of who we are. That in our very essence, in our very nature, apart from the sovereign touch of Jehovah God, I am a fountain of covetousness that flows in all of these ten ways. To force eyes open to see that about oneself. That takes the strict preaching of the law that the Pharisees did not have. Blessed by the Spirit. Only then will one say that Jesus is right. In Matthew 15, 8 through 20, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. My heart is the problem. Me. He looked them in the eyes and said, no, it's not just all the other people that are around you. There's something wrong with you, inside you. Seriously wrong, corrupt. That's the problem, and we need this again and again because it's so tempting for us all the time to shift the blame. It's society's fault. It's their problem. Of course it is to a certain extent, but then to say there's nothing that's my fault. It's society's influence. If society wasn't the way that it was, then I wouldn't have any of these problems that I have. It's the internet's fault. If it wasn't for the internet, I I wouldn't have any of these desires. It's the other kids at school. It's not my kid. It's the other kids at school. They're all the problem. There's nothing wrong with my child. It's my spouse's fault. If I was married to somebody else, I wouldn't have any of these problems in my marriage. Yes, there's fault there too. But you're the problem too. And I'm the problem too. It's in me. Back in the 1800s, when newspapers were more widely read, editors of a newspaper published a question to their readership, what is wrong with the world? Inviting their readers to submit responses, and of course, They got essays from readers explaining all the political problems and all the things that are wrong. And then they got the response of one man who said this, dear sirs, I am, it's me. And unless the law is strictly preached, we don't go there. We become Pharisees. In here, we become Pharisees. In here, unless the law is strictly preached. Only then do we cry out with the Apostle from the depths of our own experience of ourselves and our eyes opened to see ourselves inside and mean it, oh wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And you see that's the only way that we will as the Catechism says. Secondly, become the more earnest in seeking remission of sins and righteousness in Jesus Christ, there's a reason why the Pharisees had no idea what to do with this Jesus. Especially after he was crucified and had reports coming in of his resurrection from the dead. How could a crucified man be the Messiah? because they had no strict preaching of the law that drove them to see themselves as they actually were and to confess their sin before a holy God that runs deep within to their very nature they saw no need for a Messiah who would atone for them who would accomplish salvation for them on their behalf they were convinced they could do it themselves I can overcome it myself The cross made no sense to them. They would have believed if He would have come down. But not if He stayed up. For they needed no remission of sins. No alien righteousness imputed to them. Their own righteousness was enough. Nobody needed to obey the law in their place. They could become their own savior eventually. But you see, under the strict preaching of the law, we cannot but cry out again and again and again, I can't do it. I have only a a small beginning of this new obedience. Even after regeneration, I have covetousness. I do. It's in me. And I can't stand before Thee. Oh God, in my works, no matter how hard I try, I see it again and again. I need a righteousness that's impeccable to be imputed to me. And you turn your eyes to this Christ again in utter amazement. Because not only did He take your sins, of covetousness in all the different ways that it flows upon himself. But he lived with no covetousness for 33 years. In this same world, with all of those influences. and under the strict preaching of the law. He pops out as the man among men. As the one and only. As the unique. As the one of whom it can be said that never once did He sway. That He never coveted another man's warm bed though he the son of man had no place to lay his own head never did he envy the great following and power that the scribes and the pharisees had even though they were false teachers and here he is, God himself come among men in the flesh and yet is despised and rejected never did he covet the intimacy that others had even though his own familiar friends forsook him. He loved and walked with his God perfectly. And The same strict preaching of the law that exposes us as unrighteous, exposes him as utterly righteous. So that we cast ourselves upon him and earnestly seek our salvation only, only in him cry out to him again and again with greater and greater depth. You are my only hope. You're my only hope for justification. You're my only hope for sanctification too. Because you see under the strict preaching of the law, where I see myself as I really am. I go forward in the Christian life in the right way, living out of the right source, the right power of holiness. By this strict preaching of the law, I see that sanctification takes not merely, not only me just trying harder, but it takes a work of grace, sovereign, powerful work of grace continuously working in my heart within if this is who I am then the message of the Pharisees isn't going to cut it. Just be better. Just do better. Just try harder. It's not going to fix me. My problem runs too deep it's in my heart, it's in my motivations, it's in my loves, it's in my desires and I can't even go in there and dig in there and and root it out and, and change it. God has to do it in my heart that I might live out of his progressive work of sanctification in me. And therefore the catechism says the necessity of the strict preaching of the law is also this. As his child being sanctified, I'm put on my knees again and again so that I constantly pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that I might become more and more conformable to the image of God. I beg him for grace. I can't do it. I need the Spirit, Lord God, to go inside. And since he uses the word, the Spirit does. And I come to the preaching of that word totally different too. Upon the strict preaching of the law. Feed me, Spirit of Christ. Do a work by this word within me that I cannot myself do. Circumcise the foreskin of my heart. Out of the heart are the issues of life. Work upon my heart by thy word. I pray, I pray. And do you see? And the Spirit uses the tool of the Word washing over my soul to change me at the level of the heart. This is how it goes. This is how he does it. He brings me to the strict preaching of the law to expose me to the core of my being. Who I am. So I confess who I am. And he ushers into me the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of his beauty who he is. And seeing him and all that he is, I'm bound to him like I'm bound to no other. I love him like I love no other. And I give myself over to him like I give myself over to no other. And out of that love, then I deny myself. Then I try hard. Out of the power of the spirits working in me. That's how he changes me from the inside out. And even as he's doing it, he's at the same time constantly leading me to look up to the hope of heaven where he will change me from the inside out utterly, utterly, completely. Do you see? The strict preaching of the law continues to grow, be used of God to grow us, but also it continues to show us how far we have yet to go and therefore it's that strict preaching of the law that leads us to constantly lift our eyes up. Do you realize that you think of heaven differently from most people? If you would ask people what they think about when they think about heaven, many people, the first thing they're going to say is, I get to eat my favorite foods, play all kinds of games that I like or whatever else it is. Do you know how different it is that one of the first things you think of, I won't have to battle sin anymore. That I will stand before him and I will look him in the eye and I won't feel even the slightest twitch of desiring to look away because he won't see anything inside of me except what loves him and honors him and I can't wait for that. That comes under the strict preaching of his law. May God grant that it continues from this pulpit. Amen. Father, bless Thy Word. Let it not fall off the end of this pulpit, but come into the mind and heart and soul and strengthen. Strengthen our faith, our hope, our trust, and our life of godliness too, from the inside out. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen.